this time on this podcast, uh, there's going to be a great guy, a great speaker. His name's Corey Bryson, fine American uh, Marine vet. He's going to talk about the issues. <laughs> so good. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. little bit of a breather this week. Well needed. We were expecting the Senate to come in and have votes. Actually, today, we're recording on Thursday afternoon, but they took a respite. Definitely well needed, especially after that crossover week last week. And the effects of Senate Bill 20, the abortion bill, the impact of that is still something that is being discussed all over Twitter And we know that the governor is going to veto the bill on Saturday. He made the announcement this week that he's going to participate in a rally 10 a.m. out at Bicentennial Mall, which is in front of the General Assembly, where he is going to put his veto stamp on the bill. That triggers, we assume, override votes this coming week. Again, Senate budget dropping abortion bill back on the agenda. No rest for the weary here. Additionally, this week, Governor Cooper has been traveling around the state to talk about the abortion bill. Going into districts, primarily the Wilmington area, calling out legislators who he says are swing votes on sustaining the veto. We talked about it last week. Representative Ted Davis, Republican, he walked off the floor last week during the House vote, cast no vote, and we talked about some of the campaign promises he made back in the fall. The big question is, does Representative Davis support the governor's veto? Does he vote to override it, or does he walk off the floor? Now, Speaker Tim Moore made a pronouncement this week. We don't know how that's going to play, but he did make an announcement about Representative Davis's vote on the veto. Yeah, he said All Republicans were on board. Yeah. So this happens a lot in politics. A legislator may vote their conscience or not vote at all, but they are expected to toe the party line when it comes to veto overrides or veto sustains. And this pressure is put on Republicans. This pressure is put on Democrats. It wouldn't surprise me that this vote goes either way. Now, Senator Michael Lee... He really pushed back on the governor this week. He had written a op-ed in the Star News during the election, going back to the fall. I think it was about late summer, where he wrote an op-ed about his views on abortion. He wanted to protect first trimester abortion access. He wanted to limit that access in the second trimester. And then he was opposed to abortion in the third trimester with very few exceptions. Senator Lee said, look, Governor Cooper, this bill reflects my op-ed. Then over on the House side, Representative John Bradford, Republican down in the Lake Norman area, he really had some pointed things to say to Governor Cooper as well. He felt that he was getting pressure. He also said that in the past, he has been a primary sponsor on bills, and the governor didn't invite him to the bill signing ceremonies, and he said that the governor wouldn't know him if he bumped into him on the street. Anyway, the fight is spilling out into the street now. We're we're in the Senate and the House last week, and we reported on that last week's podcast, but expect big news on Saturday, and then, of course, going into next week. There were a couple of polls that have come out in the last couple of weeks. The first poll was the John Locke Foundation. They released a poll based on the mainly the gubernatorial races, or at least that's what got us interested. Uh, their polling shows, no surprise here, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is ahead of the field of candidates that have either announced for the Republican nomination for governor or have hinted that they may run for governor in 2024. The lieutenant governor is bringing in 
43% of the vote. By the way, that's enough to get over the threshold of getting the nomination without going to a runoff. Second is former Congressman Mark Walker. He is at 9%. State Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxler, he's at 8%. You may remember he told me he was thinking about running for governor. No indications yet that he's ready to make a formal announcement or will even make an announcement. But then curiously, State Treasurer Dale Falwell's coming in at 4%. The only declared candidates are Robinson and Falwell. So has to be disappointing numbers for the state treasurer. I think the most notable portion of that gubernatorial poll is that over a third of voters who are undecided. So what do those numbers at this stage really mean? Right. The traditional thinking right now is that the lieutenant governor has this lockdown. I think a lot of these candidates are wanting to be in a position in case there is an implosion of the Robinson campaign. They take advantage of any of that. This guy has not imploded yet. You, I think many of us thought he had over the last year, but he is really showing some staying power in that gubernatorial race and has to be the assumed nominee. We should also add that it has been talked about over the last two weeks. This race for governor is really the only swing race in the country. It's the one race that Republicans have seen that they can pick up. And it's the one race for Democrats who see it as a race they could lose. So what does that mean? We could see a gubernatorial race here, upwards of half a billion dollars being spent to win it. And a lot of folks are saying, well, you know, could... Is the Republican Governors Association, are they really going to invest in Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson? We know that they did not go full throttle for Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest when he ran four years ago. Bottom line, the RGA, all of the independent expenditures on the Republican side of the aisle, they will play in North Carolina. They will come in big, flaws and all. And we are going to see a governor's race in 2024 like we have never seen before in this state. Until then, we're just going to keep looking at this primary. Now, Sky, interesting polling in the Locke Foundation numbers as it pertains to the attorney general race. So there have only been a couple of people that have formally announced in the attorney general race. Former Representative Tom Murray is leading Ray Starling by seven points. But that race also has a large number, over 70% of folks who are undecided. Yeah. And then we need to add in that a lot of folks in NC Poll World believe that Congressman Dan Bishop is about to get into this race. So what does that mean for these numbers? I'm sure... (laughs) I'm sure we'll see a lot of polling over the next few weeks. But you can check out this polling at johnlock.org. We appreciate them sending it over to us. But there was another poll this week that got our attention from the Chamber of Commerce. And this was an issue poll on what voters feel are serious issues right now. And unsurprisingly, the cost of housing Hold very high. 91% of people find that to be a very serious problem. Crime. These are very similar to issues that we saw in the 2022 election as the big issues for voters. Let's go back to the abortion debate. Democrats are really banking on some anger, especially among women voters, women in the suburbs, to be offended by SB20. Republicans are banking on the fact that they reached a compromise bill that has a lot of Democratic priorities. Both of these camps are looking right at women in the suburbs. I talked to a Republican this week. He thinks that abortion will be 
a non-issue, or at least it'll be similar to what they saw in the fall. They did see some anger when the Dobbs decision came out in June, but then it started to fade away as we got closer to the election. Democrats, and you can see this in the language that Democrats are using, they're calling SB20 a ban. Now, why are they calling it a ban? One, they believe it is because there are some roadblocks, they say, for women to get an abortion. But they're also aiming this rhetoric at women in the suburbs. So can Democrats sustain that language all the way into 2024? Yet to be seen. Can Republicans counter that with saying, look, we did a compromise? Similar to what they said during the election when Phil Ber- Senator Phil Berger said, look, I'm for first trimester bodily autonomy. They're using that kind of same roadmap. Will this be an issue in 2024? I'm sure we'll see some polling on that as well. But thank you to the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce for sharing this polling. Speaking of the governor's race, former Congressman Mark Walker announced that he'd be making an announcement <laughs> next week. Yeah, he's going to throw his hat in the ring for the Republican nomination for governor. He just came off a unsuccessful U.S. Senate race primary against now Senator Ted Budd and former Governor Pat McCrory. He has declared in the past that Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is his friend. I think he feels somewhat slighted by Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson because Robinson did endorse Ted Budd for that U.S. Senate race. We got word from the North Carolina Republican Party this week that they are going to have quite a guest list at this year's convention. Wow. So their state convention is in June, and they are going to have all three announced GOP presidential candidates. And so that's former President Trump, Governor Ron DeSantis, and Mike Pence. So this convention is June 8th through 11th in Greensboro. I was told yesterday President Trump is going to be the Saturday night speaker. So he's going to be the last speaker of this trio. I imagine the fireworks are going to be going off. He has not had a lot of nice things to say about uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, but congratulations to Chairman Michael Watley over at the Republican Party. This is quite a lineup. I imagine that convention hall is going to be a buzz. We do just want to put a little plug in for May 24th at 530. The Growler will be happening on Person Street at the Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. And the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association is a proud sponsor of this podcast. By the way, this is a great event. Everyone's invited in NC Poll World. Tim Kent, the executive director, and the staff over there, they lay out beers and wines from their members. And you get to drink and eat and It is just a wonderful, wonderful event. We'll be out there, and we look forward to seeing you. Everyone's invited. This week, we feature a conversation we had with Speaker Tim Moore's Senior Policy Advisor, Corey Bryson. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Corey Bryson, Senior Policy Advisor to Speaker Tim Moore. Welcome to the podcast. To kick us off, tell us about your job. What would you say on a day-to-day basis? We're in the long session right now, so what do you do from day-to-day? So I would say our day-to-day is managing bills that come through on the calendar, managing what's on the calendar, um, constituent services obviously is a big part of our job. Handling member requests uh, right now in the middle of the budget, and I would say just crossover this week uh it's going to be managing bills and how would you say that you manage bills how does your office as a whole decide what's moving what's not when a member makes a request how does that go up 
So usually we track the bills from the time that filing starts. When we come back into session, we all usually have a bill tracker for our respective committees. And we look to see which committees are meeting. And then we'll have certain bills that are being filed throughout the process. Obviously, crossover week and the week leading up are crazy. They're hectic. But we really enjoy it. It's your job to vet those bills as it pertains to the committees that you staff? Ultimately, the decision always comes down to the members, right? The chairman of those committees, um, the speaker, obviously. It's not our job as staff in the House of Representatives to stop any bill from moving, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just not how we work. But basically, we just vet the bill, see if there's any, anything that might be unconstitutional, anything that might have some you know, hair on it, mm-hmm. um, anything like that. So I would say that basically a lot of our time is just coordinating to see where bills are at, where they're moving. Uh, will they meet crossover? Are they subject to crossover? But ultimately, like I said, the chairman of those individual committees has the ultimate say, and the members of those committees take up and down votes on them. Tell us about growing up. The reason that we're having you on the podcast is you have such an interesting life story. Where are you from? Tell us about your roots. I'm from Gastonia, North Carolina, home of James Worthy. Uh, I don't know if you know who that is. I do. Yeah, 1982 uh, UNC Championship game. L.A. <laughs> right. Laker, Hall of Famer. Um, also home of Fred Durst from Lit Biscuit. Fun fact. <laughs> um, Patrick McHenry also. We, we claim that one. So, yeah, I grew up in Gastonia. Um, my grandparents raised me, uh, my mom's parents more specifically, so they kind of took care of me and made sure I did the right thing. My grandpa was the only one in the house that worked. Really tough times growing up. You know, I was a 400-pound 12-year-old at the same time, you know, when I came of age. But I had a good upbringing. Um, my grandpa, real active in the church, a deacon in the church. Um, and my grandma, she was wonderful. My grandpa he worked every day up until really two years before he passed. My grandmother was the youngest of uh, 24 hmm. um, on her side, and my grandfather was the youngest of his own, I think there's eight on his side. Hmm. So growing up, I was exposed to my aunts and great aunts and uncles, which was awesome because they all like grew up in the time of World War II and had all these great stories to tell, and that gave me a love of history, and that's why I decided to like, focus on politics and things like that. Um, but yeah, just played sports, stayed active, uh, did things in the church. You know, I just think uh, my upbringing probably would be considered less than desirable by most. It's definitely different than a lot of my peers and my colleagues that went to different schools and they had a private school of education. Um, you know, went to public schools and it was quite a journey to get to this point. So, mm-hmm. but I'm proud of like the way I grew up and had it started working when I was 14. Uh, times were kind of tough. Um, we ate food that... Uh, was donated to us from the church. Like I said, my grandpa worked really hard his whole life. is just, uh, I watched him literally battle between, you know, utility bills, medicine, still paid his tithes faithfully to the church. And um, just raised old school, I guess you would say, you know, spare their rods, pull the child. And they believed in not sparing it. So, um, yeah, I was lucky. What was your relationship like with your parents? My mom and dad both lived in the house where my grandparents lived and, um, my dad, for whatever reason, decided he didn't want to be married no more, and I was about three years old, and he kind of took off and left, and still never got a real reason why that is. You know, we and him are obviously not that close, but uh, my mom stayed in the house till I was probably in fifth grade, and my mom, I will say, worked extremely hard, always worked hard. Uh, she worked at McDonald's for the time I was born until, man, it was probably first grade. Um, she's worked for the Haynes Corporation since, like just, I mean, costly working. But she just, for whatever reason, needed the, the approval of a man. They had me so young, too, I think, that they kind of just, not that they didn't care, they didn't love me. I think they just didn't know what to do with me. You mm-hmm. know, I think, you know, my dad probably had other wild oats or so. And, you know, it was kind of, as I look at being a, a father, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of like we were talking one day about if he's ordering turkey, I'm ordering ham. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. But um, I've been lucky. I've been lo- really lucky to grow up. Um, where I did was the back side of our our house was a the Optimus Club. Uh, if you're not familiar, it's where we play Pop Warner, you know Dixie Youth Baseball. So I would go up there, volunteer around the the buildings, you know, painting stuff, dragging fields, spray painting lines on the field. It's actually how I got my first job was I was just up there cutting grass with a push mower, and mm-hmm. somebody saw me walk um, cutting grass. And they think they figured it out that the reason I hung out so much was actually the heat at the time. Like, oh really? Like, no, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, man, when you're eating, you know, whatever you're getting donated from the church, it's probably not great. So, mm-hmm. 
But I they figured it out and they gave me my first job when I was fourteen and that was uh working as a screen printing apprentice, like cleaning out screens and I would do that in the summer and work in a warehouse and then go to full of practice in the summer and that was my life. I know you said your grandfather has passed away. Is your grandmother still with us? My grandmother passed away when I was still in the Marines and that was twenty ten and my grandfather passed away twenty twenty one. That had to be hard. Yeah, it was tough. So we've talked before about you getting in trouble for going to another school out of district. Can you tell us about your decision to stop attending high school? I remember being at home and they're calling my somebody from the county office called my grandmother was like, hey, $6,000 for your kid to keep going here. And she's like, we don't have it. And I just remember like, just hang up the phone. And I never went back. Really? So like, I didn't go back for, I was working with a guy who I met at the ball field um, who's basically like, well, you need to do something. So he'd give me a job and like anything I would do, he'd pay me a dollar an hour more to do it. So like if I would bought a tool belt and we were like building decks at the time, you know, and this is like 2000, this is 2006. Um, so I was working for him and I'm like, he was like, Hey man, quit asking me for my tape measure. Go buy a tape measure. Quit asking me for a hammer, buy a hammer. So anything I did to show interest in the job would literally just be a dollar more. So like, I think I was 16 years old. I was making like $18 an hour. Like, what do you want to tell some kid that way? Life was totally a mess though. Cause you know, if you're not in school, you're not allowed to drive. So I was out there doing that illegally. You know, my grandparents would be like, you're not doing the right thing here. You're breaking the law. You're doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, caused me to have a falling out with my pastor and stuff. Um, just because they couldn't support that kind of behavior, right? right. Um, and I wouldn't do anything bad, right? Like I was just not going to school, right? right. Which, which was always a tough issue for me, anyway. Did but you yeah. get a GED and so that, or go to the military and get your high school diploma? How'd that so work? what? So what happened is there was a truck that I had that was given to me by my dad's grandfather. They had like three hundred thousand miles on it. It died. And so the guy I was working for, he was like, "Hey, man, like, look, like, I'll give you this opportunity if you want to come. Like, I enjoy having you around." Like, if you want to come work for me, I'll buy you a new truck. I'll buy you a thing. You start running your own crew. You can do this. And I'm like 16 years old. I'm like, man, that sounds great. But he was like, but what I think you ought to do, and this guy had, you know, got his degree in architecture, smart guy, um, was in the Air Force. He's like, what you need to do is go back, take your ass back to school (laughs) (laughs) and then, like, go into Marines because I think it would actually be good for you. And like he knew that we had talked about that was something that I'd always wanted to do. It just didn't work out because obviously you had to have a GED or whatever. So I ended up, um, ta- I've been talking to a recruiter for like the Marines the whole time. He got me plugged into this uh, program. It's called being an adult high school diploma. Okay. So when I was in school, like I talked about not being a good student, but like, you know, I took honors classes, things like that. But like, you know, I, I was a class clean. I cut up. Mm-hmm. I did whatever, you know, I wanted to. I did try in certain areas. You know, if like math, I didn't care. Like if I didn't want to do it, I wasn't going to do it. I would walk out of class. They have me on film. At one point, I would leave school um, during English and like literally go get a haircut and then just walk back like nothing happened and come back in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> but that school was rough, though, by the way. The high school and uh, middle school I went to. Like when I tell people where I went to high school, they're like, what? Really? Yeah, at one point, it had a barbed wire fence going around the whole the whole school. Wow. Um, that was that's wild. Keep you in? Uh, yeah, to keep me in. Yeah, <laughs> it's meant to keep people out. It's supposed to keep people in. Um, but no, it was, uh, yeah. So you got your... So I got my high school. Yeah, so talked to my recruiter. They had, obviously, this is like the height, 2006. So this is like the height of like the surge, right? Sure. We need every able-bodied person to come fight for America. I was 17 at the time. I ended up going to Cleveland Community College. And becoming an adult high school, getting my adult high school diploma. Wow. So that was like the only qualification I needed to go into the Marines. So, yeah. So then you go into the Marines. Take us through that portion of your life. I had to get my parents to sign basically their rights away to me. You know, my dad put up a, like a little stick about it and my recruiter was there and he was like, hey, like, look, like this is the best chance for your kid to better his life. Like, don't be the guy who tries to stop this now because he's just going to do it when he turns 18. So I did it. My grandma and my grandpa was really, my grandpa a lot less, but my grandmother was really upset. Hmm. Um, she did not want me to do it. She doesn't want her grandbaby to die. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. That's right. So all that happened January, 
by March, like I had finished like the little school part of what I had to do. And then Easter Sunday, I left for MEPS, which is where you enlist out of. So then we start a little ride to Paris Island, which is right above Hilton Head. You know, that's not a short drive for Charlotte. So you're just sitting there the whole time. You're like, man, what have I done? Like when this guy pulls over, I can just jump out of this car. Nobody will find me. Like I'm not there yet. Like right. as soon as you get there, <laughs> put your head down. Don't look around. Um, the guy who's driving the bus is like, oh, man, it's cool. You can look now. And so we were all like looking. It was dead at night. You can't see anything. Um, you get there, you start the yellow footprints, and you start the transformation into becoming a United States Marine. And it's a really it's a cool process that you go through, really symbolic. But it's it's game on from the time you get there till the time you leave. So explain to me the boy that walks out of class, is chronically late to school, is bending the rules, and now you're in one of the most disciplined environments what was that like for you over those 13 weeks? Uh, mentally, I think it was tough just because I realized the one thing the military did teach me, and I tell people this all the time, is that it could always be worse. You know, so what? You woke up without cold, like hot water in the mornings. You know what I mean? Like, so what? You had a heated stove. Like, this could be a lot worse. Your life could be totally controlled by somebody else. It could totally just be... You have no control, no freedom to do what you want to do. People telling you what to think, what to do, what to wear, when to wear, when to get up, when to go to sleep. But obviously I needed that structure to put the fear of God in me to be like, you can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked. And um, I'm thankful I did it. Um, but it was tough. So how long were you in the military? Take us through when you got out. So I did four years. Uh, so I did when it was 2007 got out 2011 when I was in like I started you know to pay attention to what was going on kind of around me I had a great job like I was in a desk like I worked in a tape battalion so I still got to play like marine and go to like do the field op stuff and and do things like that there's a situation where like at a really young age I got in charge of like put in charge of like our our office operation for a while really was scared about that how that was going to turn out ran the ball with that um, did great that's actually like my Medal in my office. That's what that's from. It's like mm-hmm. called a Navy Achievement Medal. Like I needed all that structure, right? Like I needed somebody to be like, where Where are you at? What are you doing? You know, and I enjoyed it. I really did enjoy it. Not enough to stay in, but I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I went to school while I was into, like started taking classes. So after you left the Marines, where did you work? So when I left the Marines, like I came back home, I was sitting on a beach and I get a call from Home Depot to come work. That was two weeks after mm. I got out. Mm. Eventually, you wind up going back to college, right? So as soon as I got out, like I enlisted like at a community college, Gaston College, and was taking classes there. I was taking like 28 credit hours. Like I did not want to be there. Ended up going to Belmont Abbey. Oh, I had worked with my cousin. They uh, owned a um, construction company, so I did a little bit of that. Worked uh, with my other cousin who did like environmental abatement, like um, kind of like home inspections and pest control stuff. So I did that, commenting houses in the winter looking for termites. That was fun. It sounds to me, correct me if I'm wrong, you had no political connections whatsoever. No. Poor boy from the other side of the tracks, former military at this point. But there was a point, obviously, where you made the transition from all of this into working inside the General Assembly. So I worked at Home Depot while I was going to school. Um, I had um, basically figured out that I wanted to get involved in politics. I just didn't know what to do. So I go to the local GOP headquarters because in Gaston County, that is the show in town. I walk in to the ladies that are sitting there and this, these older women. And I'm like, hey, like, I need to get a sign. Also, by the way, I'm here to help her volunteer like if you want me to. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we'd love for you to sit, you know, help us sit at the desk. Like, I mean, that's all I was doing was sit at the desk, handing out signs. And then other people found out about me. And that's when I met Representative Dana Bumgarner, who's now deceased, and, you know, Senator Harrington, who's now left. And that was 2012. So then I started doing more of the campaign side of things, like actually going out, like going door to door, canvassing, things like that. Really enjoyed it. Helped run a campaign for a district court judge that was running at the time. So that's how I met you know, like D Stewart and some of these other folks. So you're yeah. volunteering locally with the Republican Party. How did you get from there to here? I just stayed basically active in the party there. Like 
got on the state like executive committee for the GOP and mm-hmm. started going to conventions and it got involved in it wild hours and um, just did whatever I could to stay involved and uh, had no idea what I was doing. Right. No idea. Just like my dream out of all this was just to become an LA. Like that's all I wanted to do. If I could make it to Raleigh and be in LA, that was it. I ended up meeting um, twenty fourteen Senator Tillis and Speaker Tillis decides to run for you know U.S. Senate. Like here's this guy's backstory. Here's a guy who's in a trailer. Well, you know my you know my it's your mom story. And, yeah, my yeah. mom and dad both live in a trailer and they're separated. Like kind of that hard upbringing. Like didn't go to college right away. I just loved the guy's story. Like, just absolutely loved. And I still do to this day. Everything about him. Like, when I when he's around the GA and, like, you're walking around talking with him, like, you're just like, this guy is incredible. Like, he's the real deal. I know people in our, my party don't really, you know, always not conservative enough. But to me, that dude is the American dream. He's walking. He's me. Like, I literally – and there's everything about that to admire. But 2014, like, I just the primary started meeting other people. Um, one of the people I met was Representative Jason Sane, and that's kind of like where everything kind of took off for me, I guess you would say. And I'm still in school while I'm doing this, but like worked it out where like, hey, maybe I could just do this for my internship, which is what I did. So the election happened, and um, like I'm finishing up, I just had to work on my thesis. And so he's like, hey, you want to come to Raleigh? You know, there's this opportunity for, you know, to be a sergeant in arms and like come to work up here, end up uh, staying at a buddy's house. Eventually made my way to Representative Sane and Senator Heiss's couch okay. for about two years. So that was fun. They're roommates. They're roomies. Right. Yeah, they're roomies. Having that job was really cool because, like, you would just sit there. I learned everything about the process. I had no responsibility other than just being in those committee meeting rooms. And those guys who were sergeant arms in the office, they all had prior jobs before that. It's kind of like they're wanting to work to make extra money. Just great stories. Most of them were vets. Federal, former state, federal employees, just great guys just to get life advice from and just generally just nice, good guys. Just a place to learn everything you want to know because they know everything Mm -hmm. because they've just been there for so long. But did that, and that was with the 2015 until November. Um, And then, like, that's when session went because of the budget. The first year the speaker was speaker. And it went to 2015. Speaker Moore was. Speaker Moore was. He followed Tillish. So... Literally go home, pack up stuff, and I was like, man, I got to figure out what to do. Somebody calls me up and like, hey, who's your top five choices for president in a Republican primary in 16? So I'll list them out. Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio. The one guy that was not on my list was Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. So the guy I was asking me, though, worked for Trump. And so I tell him, hey, like, I just need something to do. And – uh Sane at the time, like I was living in like Sane's, uh, Representative Sane's uh, mother-in-law suite. Mm-hmm. He was a state chair for Marco Rubio. So I'm like, hey, man, I have this opportunity. And I told him what it was. And he's like, man, I'd be mad at you if you didn't take it. And I was mm-hmm. like, he's like, this would be a good thing for you to do. And I was like, yeah, okay. Well, I just want to clear it with you first. And so I did that. I stayed on from there till Wisconsin and just like had enough of it, like, they would send everybody from like these SEC states and from us who voted early to like Utah, Wisconsin, just all over and Philly and everywhere else. I literally was just like driving in the snow, had no business being up there. Just like, I'm over this. I'm gone. And so came back, did some more political work and then met up with saying, and we went to Speaker Moore's law office and we we're just sitting in there talking to him. He's like, what are you doing now? And I was like, looking for a job and he's like you want to come back to raleigh and i was like i'd love to come back to raleigh and so represent say was like there's this new guy who just showed up and uh, i think the freshman class that year was 15 or 16 and it was huge and massive and so we'll make you the ra for the freshman and so came to do that and that's how you got to know you know chairman hall chairman jones um Kyrsman murphy there was a there were tons mm-hmm. of talent in that whole crowd and so just got to like do that and then I think it was like June of 2016, I ended up working for the speaker again. So I came upstairs and was just working my way up through that process till now. So it just so happened, Representative Destin Hall becomes rules chairman, Destin Hall. So you're elevating with him. Which y'all had him on the podcast, like me and him. The reason I think we got along so well is like he's got almost the same exact backstory. Like 
self-made guy, put himself through school, really just wanted to do better yeah. know, than what he had growing up. And yeah. so me and him got along like really well. Yeah. And it was cool to work for a guy like that. You have all of these moments, right, that seem to take your life to the next level. You meet someone. She was then Britt Eller, now Britt Bryson. She happened to be one of your coworkers. Yeah, so there was a, when I was working for uh, Chairman Hall, um, this person was working for Chairman McGrady at the time mm-hmm. on the third floor, and I would walk by every day and say, hey, and she would just look so mad <laughs> and, like, not look approachable at all. Uh-huh. So I was like, man, what? Like, so I would ask her, like, what is, like, what's her problem? Like, what's her deal? And so she eventually go work for the speaker, and, yeah, so we just started talking. I was like, wow, we have a lot in common. And it just kind of, you know, it's one of those things in life where, like, I've learned just to stay. Any time Corey Bryson tries to make something happen, it blows up. Mm. But if I just stay out of my own way, things kind of progress and happen for me. So that's been kind of, like, a hard lesson to learn for me. But definitely. So, yeah. So now we uh, we ended up dating and uh, talked to the speaker about it. I was like, hey, like, what do you think about this? And he was like, I don't know. You know, it could go sideways. But obviously it worked out. And him and... Um, Chairman Sane and Chairman Hall, they were in my wedding. So it was, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool all that happened. I was in your office one time and Britt had walked past your office and you said, man, whoever ends up marrying that girl is going to be one lucky guy. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Oh. So this episode is going to drop right before Mother's Day. Can you talk about maybe the significance of what Mother's Day is going to mean to you this year because your family's growing. That's right. That's right. Um, I think it'll be the first time that I've actually been excited for Mother's Day. Okay. um, Like I talked about growing up and everything, just was never made a big deal. Um, Same thing with Father's Day, never. But now it's like I'm joking with her about, with Brad about, well, guess what? Like maybe won't be here for Mother's Day, but it will be here for Father's Day. And it's exciting stuff, man. It's all happening. You know, we got married two years ago. And so, you know, here we are about to have a baby. You and I have had this conversation. You you talked about it earlier, doing the opposite no. of, uh, you know, your dad orders ham, you order tuna. Yep. Can you talk about how you th- are thinking about parenthood, the excitement you must feel? There's also got to be this big unknown, right? There is, there is a big unknown. And I've luckily, like I said, like when I stay out of my own way, I feel like God's put people in my life to show me what to do. And like, I've been lucky. Like I really have had like, not just politically, not just professionally, but just in life. Like some of these people that I've been around, like the speaker, um, chairman hall, um, leader bell, some of those guys, people like coaches for the past, everybody I've came in contact, I've, I've took something away from in some form or capacity, right? Like just, how they, how they are with their kids or how they are in general professionally. I've been lucky to watch how people handle their situations. I want to provide for my kid opportunities that he didn't have, right? Or I didn't have. And I think part of like just being, not knowing anything about it going into it, I just feel like if you show up, right? Like I feel like that's half of the battle, right? And that's something like I really want to work work on, you know, just, just being around, obviously doing everything opposite of what my parents did. is probably a good start. We have actually quite an audience of kids in college. If they want to get involved with their political party, what, what advice would you give? Anybody who wants to get involved in a political process should just really just show up to whatever their local organization is there. And, you know, obviously it doesn't have to be the state level. I've always thought it was amazing I ended up here because I never actually thought that I would. Um, had no desire to go to D.C. And so... That was it. But like local government's just as important. I would just say, find you a good mentor, listen to what they have to say, take the good and bad from everybody, work hard. And that was the other advantage I had too. Like I just came out of the Marines and I was looking at people that was like employed by the RNC and stuff. And they would complain about everything. And maybe it's a mindset of how you were raised different, right? Like, you know, when you're raised cutting wood, doing whatever to heat your fireplace, like you're not playing like video games in the summer. Like did some of that. But there was no summer camp for me. Like, it was always working. And I think it just that kind of work ethic, and I think if, like, if you just do just a little bit more, right? Like, it was like it was nothing to me. Like, you're going to pay me to go out here and put signs out on the road? Okay. 
Like, it'd be like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, this is nothing. Like, you're paying me to do this. Like, this is incredible. And uh, it was like a small part of being a part of the process. But I knew, like, that was my way. Because, like, I had no dad. I had no grandfather. I was going to write a check. Like, I meet some of our interns, the people in the building that, like, have been blessed to have people that help vouch for me, get jobs and do this. And, and that's, that's great. You know what I mean? But I think for people like me, I think, you know, people like yourself, I think it just makes you want it more and it makes you appreciate being here more. Like it's an amazing job. Like I have the best job in the world. Like I tell like some of these younger kids, I'm like, man, people have to get up and go to work for a living. You know what I mean? Like they have to dig ditches, <laughs> climbing around. Like, and we do work and we have a very serious job, but it's just not lost on me. That place that's, on Jones Street and what happens there, being a part of the process and you know, like the pandemic, helping the people that I got to help. I mean, out of my own pocket, right? Like just what's the lifetime things? Like the people have no idea who I am. I don't know who they are now, but at some point I guess they'll know that, you know, somebody did something for them, you know, from that office. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Like what I think in the scheme of thing, like of everything that happens over there, the fights, the bickering, like if you could help somebody, you should do it. Yeah. And I think that job gives you the platform to help so many people. What is the one thing you would change if you had a magic wand? I don't know if there's anything I would change. I, I just think that I wish that people had the um, not compromise on their values or, or their core principles. But I think everything doesn't have to be 100%. I think Reagan had that quote, you know, if someone's. 80% my friend, they're not 20% my enemy, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's politics. It's, like, supposed to be give and take. Like, I think that's what appeals people to this whole process. And I do think that, like, when Americans have, you know, Shelby Foote, you know, this great author on the Civil War, has this great quote about, like, why does Civil War happen? He's like, because it's the one thing that Americans have a genius to do, and that's compromise. And that's the one thing we failed to do then. I look at where we're at now. Like, it scares me kind of, like, to be, do we do that anymore, right? Like, you look at the state of politics and how everything's so hostile. Um, but, yeah, this, the, the ability to compromise is, I think, a, something that's might be lost on a few people. And it'd be cool to get back to that. Well, Corey Bryson, we appreciate everything you do in North Carolina politics, your service at the General Assembly, your service to our country. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. So it's no secret that Britt is my best friend. And when she and Corey started dating, I had some reservations about it. (laughs) (laughs) But I got to know Corey and I really love him and respect him. And I like that he is a very loyal person. But I do have to give credit to you because you told me years ago that you liked Corey Bryson. And that was the endorsement I needed to like him for Brit. It was my pleasure to endorse him. Like Corey, I am drawn to the same kind of people he is. I love a good comeback story. And just like that conversation you just heard, there's no comeback story like Corey's. We're very proud of him. And by the way, there's some news about Corey that broke last week and We knew something was going on when we recorded it, but we didn't know at the time whether it was something he could share, but big news for him. Starting in June, he will be the government affairs liaison for UNC Asheville. UNC Asheville made a great pick. He is going to do great work for them. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. 
I'm going to preface this week's tweet of the week by saying, y'all were not funny this week. You were mean (laughs) to one another. (laughs) And it was hard to find a tweet that had some humor in it. So I actually had to go back to last week. Don't at me, Senator Perry, that it's not the tweet from this week. Or Senator Woodard who wanted you to do a tweet from last year. Yeah. (laughs) Be funnier. Um, But this is a tweet from May 2nd. So that was last week. And it's from Caroline Craig David. She's at Caroline C. David on Twitter. And it just says, doom scrolling NC poll because I love the chaos. And I think we can all relate to that. And it relates to how you couldn't find anything funny this week. Oh, and I was scrolling and scrolling, just looking for something that, you know, wasn't politically charged, wasn't about abortion. It was it was tough. And something not about the coronation, too. Yeah, I don't want to hear about that. We're Americans. Why aren't you proud? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sitting around a TV on a Saturday morning to, to watch a man... Who has been living off the government dole all 74 years of his life. He's only 74? Yeah. He looked older than that to me. He, he dresses up in a purple robe and a silly hat. And we're supposed to somehow think this is acceptable? <laughs> I saw a picture of him in Camilla. <laughs> and it said, this looks like the outside cover of a Party City costume. <laughs> That was the silliest thing I think I've ever seen. I think we're going to, I didn't see it, but I just saw stuff online. I, but saw, I saw the clips I, and then it was in the news cycle on yeah. Saturday. I mean, give me a break. I get you, the sense that people are going to be angry about us hating it. It's okay. You know, NC Paul, just a reminder, we did fight a war to not do this silliness. Instead, we watch our own old guys fight. <laughs> Hey, hey, but yeah, at least they're not the products of incest (laughs) through generations. I mean, I love it when the royal family dresses up in the military garb and they even have swords. Can you imagine King Charles in a fight with anybody? So anyway, we couldn't find if it wasn't about SB20, if it wasn't about the coronation, we were looking for it. We were looking. I looked hard. Yeah. It spent way too long. We weren't our best selves this last week either. It, last week. Yeah, took I yelled it at you us. once. You did. You did. I mean, but that's okay. It's okay. But I apologized because I'm self-aware. As I always say, I know when I'm being mean. I'm not going to change, but I know. <laughs> right. And that's okay because long hours last week and we were just drained. And it got us thinking about our pet peeves, things that we're just kind of tired of. What are fighting words for you? What gets you where you're like, hey, I I have a beef with you for saying that on your podcast or wherever? Well, my number one thing is when someone's like, do you want to do brunch with me? I hate brunch. It's a stupid concept. And just choose one, breakfast or lunch, choose one. That's why we have rules. It's a society. We have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, those are our three meals. Mm -hmm. We've all operated on that for a long time and we've been fine with it. Mm -hmm. So choose breakfast or lunch. If you want to drink at breakfast, I don't care. Drink at breakfast. But why do you have to have a 10 a.m. brunch that lasts for three hours just so you can have a mimosa or a Bloody Mary and eat crappy breakfast food? It's dumb and I hate it. And I hate that millennials have made it part of our culture. What is wrong with people? Why do they do that? <laughs> I don't know. Why, why don't we eat a meal between lunch and dinner? We do. You and I always do. <laughs> But we don't, you know I love a snack. We don't, we don't call it anything, though. We don't say, let's go eat Lupper. No. We just... We just get a drink at 5 o'clock like adults. <laughs> so those are fighting words for you. If someone says, let's go get brunch. Yeah, what about you? If you want to really turn me off to who you are, okay. tell okay. me that the British version of what I'm watching on TV or a movie is better. Like The Office. I am a big fan of The Office, the American version. 
Yes, I have watched the British version. I also think it is funny in its own way. You know, I'll say, I'm watching The Office, oh, the British version, that's so much better. Like, you sound like an idiot when you say something (laughs) like that. That did get you worked up. It does get me worked up. Why, though? Why does that work you up so much? Because I feel like people are... They're, tr- they're marking their territory. They're saying, I heard it first. I know the British version of something. British TV shows, they're not that great. If they were great, they would be on American TV. <laughs> <laughs> you know? This is an anti-British <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I, that might be true. I'm a little done with the British uh, right now. The only thing the British do better than us is they make good tea there, but let's be clear. I thought you were going to say teeth. I was like, I don't think they do. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, but they, let's be clear, they get the tea from Asia. So, I mean, it's not even their tea. Well, you order tea from over there. I do order tea from Fortnum and Mason in London. I love London. I love London. Nothing against... The, the British don't do that. It's the Americans who think that this country who we whooped over 200 years ago in a war is still better than us. They're not. They're Britain. Pro-America. We saved them in war. Be pro, be proud. (laughs) If it wasn't for us, they'd be speaking German right now. (laughs) We're the country. And their little silly ceremonies. My (laughs) goodness. Don't you think they probably think our ceremonies are silly? Some of them may be. But our inauguration of our president, I think, is a very simple affair. He gets up there, and maybe one day she uh, raises your right hand, you say an oath, and it's done. We, we don't sit there and kiss people and read stupid scripts about how I'm going to be faithful to you and life and limb and all this. I mean, it's just some guy, some guy who... He's been on the, like I said, he's been on the government dole for eight decades. He finally got a job. (laughs) (laughs) So aggressive. I'm just saying. I mean, give me a break. You're about to get one. (laughs) (laughs) So before we cut out, we do invite you to share your fighting words with us on Twitter, tag us on Twitter, mm-hmm. or let us know somehow what your fighting words are. I'm curious as to what they are. When someone says something that you immediately are ready to argue about, what is it? Let us know. This week was a little slow, but we know that next week we're looking at a veto override vote, and it is sure to continue to be tense in the chambers. We will bring you the news next week about how those votes go and all the other NC Poll news you look forward to on this podcast. Until then, go outside. Maybe watch an American version of a TV show. And remember to do politics better. That's right. That lady over there, she'll know what she's talking about. Okay. <laughs> I was here before, I've done this podcast. Uh, I think last time I was here, Boy Wonder was here. Uh, that's Neil Emmon, if you don't know. Uh, real smart guy. Real mm-hmm. smart guy. That boy could draw. Okay. But, you know, General Civil is like a church. Yeah. Here's your church. Here's your staple. Up and up. Look at all, all the people. Look, there's, there's Representative Cleveland and Representative Dog getting along. Front pew. <laughs>